Well, good morning. How are you? <laughs> like, we're not sure how to answer that. <laughs> They're still waking up. Yeah. Uh, it's good to be with you guys uh, today in the middle of our, like, sweltering uh, August that we're having. How many of you actually enjoy this kind of heat? One person? <laughs> I was outside just for a little bit yesterday, and uh, I'm like, I never, I never had to think so much about breathing in all my life. <laughs> and I was just in Haiti just a few weeks ago, and it wasn't that bad. So those of you who, are, you know, you're like, I could never go to Haiti in the summer. It's too hot. If you lived in South Jersey, you could do it. So I have confidence in you. Um, welcome today. It's good to be with you guys today. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Jay. Thanks for being here. We call this our our family gathering as a church because we, uh, not just because we love to gather and we consider one another family, but because we believe that God has made us his family. And so when we gather together, uh, we do so like a family does, both to remember our dad uh, and to give him glory and also to encourage one another as brothers and sisters and ultimately to go out into the world uh, as God's family to represent him well so that others might know who he is and what he's like. Um, and so we, we've been doing that in a, in a few different ways, but one of the ways that we've been doing that together that we started last week and we're going to continue through Labor Day is in a series that we call Selah. And if you've been around for the last several years or so, you'll realize that we've done this series uh, every year for the last three years where we've taken a pause from other things and we've started to look at the Psalms, which are, are the Bible's kind of prayer journal, uh, and we're just asking the question, what does it mean to experience God? What does it look like for us to have uh, a deep relational connection with him, to come to know who he is, to feel his presence? Uh, and then how do you then grow and live out of that? And um, the thing that we always mention is that the word Selah means literally to pause and reflect. It's a musical term uh, that was used throughout the Psalms to say, hey, when you get to this point in the song, rest a little bit and reflect on the, on the words that you've just said. T- take some time off. And, and what we've, what, this might be your experience, um, or you may be terrible at it, and, and a lot of us are, um, that when you actually do rest from your activity, when you take a break, when you slow down, when you pause, you have the opportunity to actually experience God. And, and what we know about God is that he wants to have us experience what he's like. He is, as we sang, a good, good father. And, and if you're a good father, you want to be present in the lives of your kids. You don't just want to you know, give them good things as a dad and then send them off into the world so that your kids never know who you are. That wouldn't be a good dad. That, that would be, you know, you'd, you'd be a, a dispenser of things. And oftentimes we treat God as if he can give us good things, but he's not a good dad. A good dad is present in the lives of his kids. And so we're, we're pausing to say, what does it look like for God to be our good dad? For him to be ever present, for him to be close to us. And the Psalms are a great way for us to do that because they're a journal of folks who have taken the time to pause from their activities. Some of them, in the midst of incredible turmoil, are pausing long enough with paper and pen just to go, okay, remind me of who you are. Let me experience what you're like. And so we, we started that last week by looking at Psalm 63. 
And what I said last week is that we're going to go so slow that we're going to do the same psalm twice. So we're looking at Psalm 63 again this week. So this is part two. Good news is, if you weren't here last week, we'll catch you up. You're not going to miss anything. You can go back and listen to that, but that one's not dependent on this one. But what we started to look at was, what does it mean to experience God? What does it mean to have that connection with Him? And one of the evidences that we talked about last week is that when you experience Him, when you, you know that you've connected with the Creator of the universe, Lord of heaven and earth, when you've been given an appetite for Him. That, that one of the marks that you have when you come to know what He's like, when, when this God becomes your God, is that you have a hunger for Him and a thirst for Him. And, and what that means is you, you can never get enough of Him. Even the taste that you get, you feel like, man, that was great, but I want more and I want more and I want more and I want more. You want Him to fill your heart and your life and your presence and your day. You want more of Him. And one of the things that we said is actually that, that if, you've, if you've ever experienced in your heart a sense where you don't have Him enough, where, when you, you, you almost sense like He's absent from your from your, your presence, but you, you know that you've experienced it before, and you go, man, if I could just get back to that. Now that's actually a sign of his presence. It's actually a, a mark of the fact that you have tasted what God is like, and that God wants you to have more. And the, the pangs of hunger that you feel for him are actually the pangs that he wants you to feel so that you would run to him instead of running to other things. And so often we fill our hunger with so many other things, right? We talked about that last week. So, so that's what we, we looked at last week. This week we're going to look at a different mark, a different trait of our experience when we experience God. But we're going to look at it through the lens of the same psalm. So this is Psalm 63. If you want to read along, you can read along on page 399 of the Bibles that we have. I think it's 399. Um, even if you just want to close your eyes and listen like you did last week, that, that's good too. This is what it says. This is Psalm of David. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glorify in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. The theme that we're going to look at today is the theme of praise. Six times at least there are references in just 11 verses to the fact that if you experience God, you will praise Him. So here's the question I have for you. And we dialogue a little bit here if you're new with us. What does it mean to praise something? What is praise? You get to answer, by the way. doesn't matter if you're wrong. 
It's the answer anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's almost the natural outflow of something else, right? It's, it's the inevitably, inevitably what happens as a result of connection. Anything else? Okay. Yeah, so we're affirming something that's true um, about God, what he's like. Good. What else? Right, so it's, it's connected to our thankfulness. Um, I would venture to say you can't be thankful without praising, right? It's, it's what happens as a result of, of being filled with gratitude for something. Good, what else? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there, there's something that happens in the giving of praise, right? Um, the person who receives the praise actually gets filled up gets lifted up, gets encouraged, gets, you know. And so is, is praise an important thing to give in relationships? It's huge, right? Really huge. Why is it so important? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's easier to focus on what the person's done wrong rather than what they've done right or who they are, you know. It's to celebrate, to appreciate someone. For who they are, right? Not just what they've done for you. Yeah, right. So praise is uh, it's a twofold thing, right? So if, if, if someone's praiseworthy, you, you might give them praise to them, but you also are going to give it to other people about them. What else? It's encouragement? Yeah, so hopefully... Uh, praise begets whatever you're praising, right? So especially in, in other people, we hope that for our kids. You, you, you call out what they've done well because you want them to continue in it, right? You want to see them grow. You want to encourage them that they would grow in it, not just it, for it to be a one-time thing. Right, yeah, even in the absence of the behavior that you know is praiseworthy, if you know it's in there, you can call it out of them. I remember doing that with uh, a, one of Caleb's friends one time. And, you know, and he's, I knew he was acting in a way that wasn't in line with who I knew he, him to be. And I said to him, hey, you're better than this. You're, I've seen you in, be an encourager and to lift kids up and to think of others. I know it's in there. God's put it in there. So I, I, I want to see you tap into that because I know you got it, you know. What a way to actually correct behavior, right, is, is to call out what you know to be dormant inside someone rather than just put them down for what you see at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's a discipline, right? We're going to talk about that in a second. So it's, it's something that happens naturally, but it's also something that we cultivate. And if it's not both of those things, we won't turn into people that give praise continually. If we always think that we have, have to have a reason every second to do it. And if we, well, if I don't have a reason that I'm not going to do it, then um, we'll actually become cynical rather than people that are, are full of praise. Here, here's the, the thing that's, all, everything that you guys have said is, is excellent. Um, but here, here's maybe the, the, the truth that's underneath all the things that you've said already is that to praise something is to prize it. Um, that's what... Um, 
shoot, I'm blanking on his name, Dick Eastman, and um, and his, his he has a book called The Hour That Changes the World on prayer. And, and the first thing that he recommends in terms of, of someone's prayer life is that they spend at least a portion of time praising God. And what he says about it is, to, to praise something is to prize it. It's to value something. It's to, it's to lift it up and to place it in, in a place of priority over and above other things. It's to, it's to prize it. And, and every time you prize something, you will praise it. That's the inevitable nature of praise. If you love something, you will want to um, share in whatever you think is lovely about the thing that you're praising. You'll have to praise it, actually. I don't know if you know that about yourself. That's the way that your joy is completed. Every time you experience something that you think, man, that is, that is prize-worthy, you will praise it. And the reason that you will praise it is that you're, the, the way that you experience joy is not complete until you praise it. And so praise is the inevitable result of love. So here, last week we looked at the fact that one of the evidences of our relationship with God, if we experience Him, is that we'll be satisfied with Him alone. We'll have a hunger, I'll have a thirst for Him. Today, what, this is the only thing that we're going to cover today, is that one of the evidences that we've experienced God is that we will praise God for Him alone. We will be people of praise who praise God for what, what He is alone, regardless of who or what, what He's done for us. Now, you might say, okay, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean, like, for him alone? How many of you have watched the Olympics this week? Many of us. I've watched it almost every single night. Um, and uh, every night has, this week has seemed to gotten better and better, right? Um, you think, man, like, you watch something and the accomplishments of those people, you think, that's incredible. I've never seen anything like that before. And then the next night, it gets better. Right? And like, so in gymnastics, like they go through the preliminaries, and you're like, wow, these, these, especially the girls. Sorry, guys. The guys are terrible. And uh, so it's, it's just about the women. And, uh, but it's, well, at least for, the, for us Americans. Um, but you, you watch them, and then, then they go through the, the event finals, and then they go into the overalls, and, and, and it just seems to get better and better and better. And so we were, we were watching, Mandy and I were watching the Olympics the other night, and uh, it was the, the, the finals for one of the long women's races was on, and it was followed by the gymnastics final. And, um, and I missed a portion of it. And I, I came home that night, and Mandy goes, you, you will never believe what happened. I'm like, tell me about it, you know? Because I'm just as into it as she is. And so, so she's like, there was the 800-meter final, and Katie Ledecky, I mean, she went out there, and she, like, laughed the competition, I mean, when she pulled into the end, you couldn't even see any of the other swimmers on the screen. I mean, they were just gone because she was so far ahead and she broke her own world record. She has like the 12 fastest times in the history in that one event. Now, here's the thing. If she told me all that with such excitement and such joy and she was praising the, the glories of Katie Ledecky, what would happen to her joy if I was like, yeah, you know, that's not very impressive. It's like a wet blanket, right? Why is that? It's because that when you experience something of glory, the word glory just means weight. When you experience something of weightiness, you have to praise it. 
And when you praise it, here's the inevitable thing. This is part of why you praise it. Is because your joy in whatever you experience as glory will not be complete until others join you in its praise. It's not complete until, some, until you, you share the wonders of what happened uh, through in Rio that night and somebody else goes, that is amazing. I've never heard anything like that. You know, and then together later on we're watching you know, Simone Biles and, and she just blows the competition away and she has all these moves that are like named for her because nobody else, they're not even in anyone else's category, right? But she just does things in a floor exercise. You're like, how do you do that? Like, I've never seen the human body be able to get that high off the ground. And they just do it. Now, here's the thing about it. How much have Katie Ledecky and Simone Biles done for our lives? How much have our lives improved today based on what they did Thursday night? Not much, right? So why are we giving it praise? Because that's the nature of the way that God made you. You will praise whatever you think is most prize-worthy, even before it does anything for you. That's the nature of it. And we, we, we know that about ourselves because we want to share in the praise of everything that's worth being praised. We want to rejoice in it. We want to glory in it. And, and our joy over it isn't complete until that happens. So here's the thing. What does it mean to have experienced the creator of the universe? The maker of heaven and earth. The one who gives life to everything. Who fashioned the mountains and the sea and the sky and the heavens above and every star you've ever seen in the sky. See, to be in relationship with Him, to experience Him, to see Him for who He is means that you will praise Him. And that's why it's all over Psalm 63. I mean, David says, my lips will glorify you, which means that there's singing involved. It doesn't say David was a great singer. It doesn't say because his Lips could sing really well. He couldn't stop singing. He might have been a terrible singer. And yet he can't stop singing. Why? Because he's seen him. He says, I will praise you as long as I live. I I will lift up my hands. Even though it might look foolish to everyone around me, there will be a physical response to the way I engage with you. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. I will sing in the shadow of your wings. I will rejoice in God. There's a response. There's a praise. There's a glory in who God is. And specifically, if we're experiencing God, if we're connecting with Him in some way, there will be both a vertical and a horizontal praise that happens in our life. Every time, you'll see both start to manifest themselves if you've been connected with God, if you've experienced Him, if you've seen what He's like. So let's do the vertical first. There will be a vertical praise of who God is and what He's like if you've experienced Him. Which means one of the ways that we can come to know if we've experienced God is, is just by doing a little bit of a diagnostic on how you pray. So think about the last week or the last month of your life when it comes to your prayers? What's filled them? When you pray, if you've experienced God, that means that you don't just come to God with a laundry list of things that you'd like Him to accomplish for you. 
You, you don't just come to him with things like bless this person and heal that person and do this and do that and I'd love this and if you could keep me from that and if you could fix this, amen. And it also means that you don't just come to him when you're in need of him to fix things. There is more to your prayer life than that. So so let me ask you, when you do pray, do you only pray when things are bad? Do you only pray when all other options have been exhausted? When all other hope is lost? Do you hail Mary it, in other words? See, the reason that term is kind of funny to us is because, what's a Hail Mary? It's... Yeah, it's what you do when it's fourth down and, and 60 and you're on your own 15 and you have no other hope except to lob it up in the air and see what happens, right? And that's usually the way that we think of prayer. It's God getting stuff done for us when we have no ability to do it ourselves. Is that what your prayers sound like? And when you do pray, what fills your prayers Is it just a shopping list of things that you want from him? And so when you don't need anything, you don't go shopping. Uh, If you ever read Donald Miller's, he's got a great book called Blue Like Jazz. And he describes how he used to see God uh, before he really came to experience him as something like a cosmic slot machine. And the only time he would pray is when he needed to pull the lever. And the only thing he cared about when he pulled the lever is that he would get all sevens. Do we treat him that way? See, that's not a sign that you've experienced God. To experience God is to experience him as he is, regardless of what he does to change your circumstances. It's saying God is is worthy of my praise before he does anything, before he answers every list that I have. So that's why David says this in in verse 2, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. I've seen you. I've tasted you. I know what you're like because I've, I've experienced you. See, the truth is when you experience God like that, the result will be vertical praise. Your prayers will be filled with other things other than just shopping. They'll be filled with 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 just expressions of what God is like. And I, I can't believe you're good. And I, I can't believe that you've, you've made the universe. I can't believe that you would welcome me into relationship with you. I can't, I can't believe all these things are just true about you. You'll want to tell God what he's like. You'll need to express what he's like. And we're going to do that in a few minutes, actually. We're going to take some time to do that together. But the second thing is that there's a horizontal praise. There's a vertical, but there's also a horizontal. If you've ever experienced God, you will not be able to avoid praising Him to other people. I'm going to say that again because you don't believe me. If you've ever experienced God, you cannot experience Him changing your life, making you new, being a good, good Father without you praising Him to others. See, it's the same thing that causes you to want to talk about what happened at the Olympics last night. Your heart inevitably wants other people to join you in what you prize most. You see, and the world is full of praise, right? 
You can't go a day without experiencing someone praising something because they're prizing something. Those who are in love, you can't be in love with someone else without praising them to other people, right? And one of the ways that you know, you know that someone's fallen in love with somebody else is that they start talking about them all the time. And when it's especially new, you're like, okay, now you can stop talking about them all the time, right? And hopefully what that means is if, if it's a, a deep love, a committed love with a person, especially a, a love in marriage, you, you would continue to do that over time. In fact, if I never talked about Mandy or if I never talked about my boys with you, if it never came up in conversation, what would you inevitably think of me? Yeah, I'm either single or if you knew that I had a wife and kids, you, you would go, he must not love them at all. He never talks about them. He never praises them. He never talks about what he loves about them and why he loves them and how he loves them. You would come to the conclusion that I don't love my wife and kids if I don't talk about them. See, we do that all the time. We experience a great meal and we inevitably tweet about it or post Instagram pictures of our meal plate and everyone's like, so what? You know, but you still do it with all these filters on it like everybody cares. Why? Because you're praising it. Those of you who love sports teams, you do it with your teams. Even the Eagles, who are terrible. (laughs) And, And you still love them and you still praise them. You still talk about them. Because you talk about what you love. You do it all the time. Now, now if that's true of you, what might happen if you actually experienced what Psalm 16, verse 11 says? If, If these words were true of you, I mean, just imagine this, okay, for a second. In your presence, talking about the Lord of heaven and earth, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Would you be able to cease talking about it? In your presence is fullness of joy. Not joy that comes from watching the Olympics. Not joy that comes from a great football season or even winning a Super Bowl. Not joy that comes and goes after you've digested a great meal. Fullness of joy. I mean, can you even imagine what fullness of joy feels like? Those of you who have been in the presence of God, you know what fullness of joy feels like. You know what it's like for that God to be your God and for him to pour his love out on you because he's made you his own. The family, if you experience that kind of love and you're able to put a cap on praising him to other people, I have no idea what's going on in your heart. I have no idea what's going on in mine, actually. See, does it make any sense that someone could experience that kind of joy and not tell others about it? The only explanation I can think of that would make any sense is that if you're not praising God for who He is and what He's like, you haven't experienced Him yet. Folks, it's the only option. Now, it's, it's the option that's the best news, by the way. You might think that's not good news. No, it is. Because it means that if we have a God who wants us to experience Him for who He is and what He's like, then it will result in praise. 
And here's the fact. He wants it far more than you do. He wants you to experience Him. He wants your lips to be full of His praise. He wants it to pour out of you regardless of who you're around. And it will if we're tapped into it because His glory is so much better than any meal and so much better than any sports team, so much better than any person. See, if you're experiencing, you'll have to praise Him. In fact, everything will become His praise. This is the crazy thing. You'll, 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 you'll look at the world that used to be full of things that you praised over and above Him, and they will just be evidences that you should praise Him instead. You'll watch the Olympics and see people doing amazing things, and you'll go, I can't believe that you did that in them. Wow. Like we have, as, as human beings, your breath of life in us. We're made in your image. I can't believe people are able to accomplish that. What does that tell me about you? You look at the mountains and you go, they're, they're, they're not just things to enjoy apart from God, but they're, they're ways that we can praise God for what he's like. You look at the mountains and the ocean and the, the seashore and you go, you're so much, I can't believe you did all this. If you could do this, man, you're so much full of glory. You're so worthy of my praise. Now, here's the thing. We asked the question last week, okay, if that's the evidence, if, if the evidence is that we have a hunger, how do we grow in it, right? So this week, if, if the evidence that, that we've been experiencing God is that we praise Him, how do we grow in our ability to praise Him? How do, how do we expand the way that we praise vertically and horizontally. And Psalm 63 gives us at least two ways. There are two disciplines. There are two um, practices. I know that we don't like the word discipline, but it's something that we, we use to grow in something that God has given us already so that we can expand our use of it. And the first one that, that he tells us about is in verse 3 when it says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Notice what he doesn't say. And this is the way that we often think about what it means to be a Christian. Is that Christians are supposed to praise God. Right? I mean, that's what Christians are supposed to do. It's our obligation. It's our responsibility. It's our duty. It's the expectation. It's the norm. It's just what all Christians do. And if that's what all Christians do, and I'm a Christian, then that means I should praise God. So when other people are singing, I guess I should sing too. If other people raise their hands, I guess I should too. If other people talk about Jesus, yeah, I guess I'll do it every once in a while. Is that what David says? No. He doesn't say anything about obligation. Anything about responsibility. Anything about duty. It's, it's not about that for him. What is it about? What enables David to praise God regardless of his situation? His love. See, David isn't thinking about David and what David has to do and how David has to sing and how David should raise his hands and how David should talk to people about Jesus. He's not thinking about David at all. Who's he thinking about? He's thinking about God and his unbreaking love. Here's the trouble, though. That doesn't stir your heart. 
because uh, one, and one of the reasons for that is actually because we don't understand the word love. Um, and, and unfortunately, our NIV translation just says that because God's love is better than life, we will glorify him. But that's not really helpful. Uh, I like the way that the, the Net Bible puts it a little bit better. He, that, that version says, because experiencing your loyal love is better than life, my lips will praise you. That's better. It's not quite there yet but it's better. The, the word used for love there is actually the word that's, there's a lot of words that are used for love, but one in particular is used of God's kind of love, and it's the word hesed. And it's a word that's a, a special kind of word. It's hard to translate, um, but it's a love that's used for God over and over again, and it's, it's used to talk about the fact that when God chooses to love something, when he, when he places his love on something, When he does that, he will never, ever, ever, ever remove his love because he does not change. He never will go back on that decision. It's an unchangeable love that God chooses to give, and he chooses to give it to people regardless of whether or not they've earned his decision to give them that love. That's what it means. I I love, if you've read the um, Jesus Storybook Bible, which is the Bible that we use for our kids. We, um, we give the, that, the Creole translation of that to the community in Haiti. I forget how many we've given so far. In the hundreds, something like that, um, to them. But it's also the one that we use for our kids' ministry. I've given it out to people who have young kids, people who have kids that have grown and they're out of the house, people who have no kids. Okay, So um, don't even think of it as a children's book, actually. It's a love letter. Um, and it's, it's pretty amazing. So if you've never read it, read it. But one of, one of the things I love most about it is that every time it, it talks about God's love, it substitutes a phrase instead of just saying love. How many of you know what that phrase is? What is it? Can you, can, can you say it all? Yeah. God's never changing, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. You might think, okay, that's a little wordy. But every time the Bible uses the word love, that's what it says. You're never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Every time. In fact, I've, I've read that to my kids so much that when I read my adult version now, every time I get to the word love, I substitute that in my mind. It's like inevitable. Every time I get there, I just think of that every time. And that that phrase of thinking about God's love, it's made its way into my thinking. It's made its way into the way that I talk about God's love to my kids. It's it's made its way into the way that we do marriage um, ceremonies. It's actually included in the way that I talk about love when it comes to a husband and wife. You might say, okay, well, that sounds really nice. I like the language and all, but how is that better than life? See, here's the thing. To love someone with this kind of love, this unbreaking, always and forever love, it means that you are choosing to join whoever you are choosing to love in their fate no matter what. See, it's the same kind of love that we use to talk about marriages. When you, when you commit to someone in marriage... To love someone in that way, and this is what we're saying in marriage, is to submit yourself to the same outcomes no matter what the cost is to you, right? 
That's the love. That's why when we commit to that love, we say, if you get poorer, I get poorer. If you get worse, I get worse. If you get sick, I will bear that sickness with you until death do us part. Right? You're you're committing to take on that person's outcome, that person's fate, that person's destiny as your own. That's what you're committing to in marriage. You're committing to give that kind of unbreakable love regardless of whether they merit that love on any given day. How many of you have spouses who merit that kind of committed, unbreakable love every single day of their life? Not many of us. And even those who would say that about our spouse are doing so because our spouse is right next to us. And if we didn't raise our hand, there might be other things breaking later. But the truth is nobody merits it. Nobody deserves that kind of commitment all the days of their life, and yet we give it anyway. And here's what it really means, though. When you commit that kind of love to someone else, those of you who are considering marriage someday or those of you who are married, you know this. You are putting yourself at risk. You are making yourself vulnerable. Are you not? Because it's not just about you anymore. It's about them. And here's the thing. They change, and so do you. And so when you're committing to love that person, regardless of what the outcome is, you're saying, I am putting myself at great risk by doing this. See, and marriage is the only kind of hesed love that we're ever called to. And even that has limits. I mean, even that is broken by death, right? We're not committed for the rest of our life when that happens. But David says, when I think about the fact that you have that kind of unbreaking love for me, I realize that nothing compares. Nothing can hold a candle to that. You've committed to me regardless of the risk of what it means for you to do so. See, God knows this about us. We're always getting worse, right? Our bodies decay and we die. We rebel against him and we walk the other way. This is the characterization of our life. And yet God says, I will bless you no matter what it costs me. One of the great verses that always astounds me, that reminds me of this, is Isaiah 49, verse 15, when God says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. How many times? does a mother forget her own infant? Is it like one in a billion? And God says, even if one in a billion forgets, I'm going to do it better than that. I will never forget you. I will never stop loving you. I will never stop pursuing you. I'll never give up on you. I will do it all the days of your life. See, at... And what David doesn't realize is that God would actually one day have to fulfill that promise. He he understood maybe that God was going to join him in his life no matter what his life produced, but he didn't realize yet what that meant for God. That God would one day actually have to take death upon himself. 
that he would come into this world and pay the debt of our rebellion against him. He would take it upon himself and he would die in our place. He would take death for us and give us in return life. He would bless us even when we curse him. He would forgive us even when we're crying out to condemn him. He would, on our behalf, say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He would welcome us into our family when we rejected him as our dad. He would treat us like sons and daughters instead of the enemies that we deserve to be. God would do all those things. And here's the thing. David doesn't even know that. He doesn't even realize that. That God would come and say, I promise to bless you even if it means my own death to do it. Which means that if David has reason to praise God for his love, how much more do we? How much more, family, do we have as people that have been brought in because of Jesus? Now, here's the, here's the thing. How do you do it then? How do you actually grow in your praise of God knowing that kind of love? You need to compare it. You need to compare his love to absolutely everything in your life to prayerfully consider how his love is better and what his love is better than. Because here's the thing that I know about you, and I know this about me as well. We are not convinced in our hearts that his love is better. We're just not convinced that it's better than life. How do I know that? Because we still praise everything else but him. We still prize everything else above him. If we prized him more based on his love for us, we would praise him more. Remember, it would come out. Some way, some shape, somehow, over and above the things that we praise now. We, we would understand in our hearts, his love is better than the admiration of my boss. And so I will live for him rather than the approval of him. We would know that, that his love is better than the respect of my neighbors. And so I won't fear Jesus coming up in conversation with a neighbor because who do I love more and who loves me more? My neighbor could reject me for all kinds of things. My heavenly father will never reject me. His love is so much better. We'd, we'd look at our, our, someone we're dating and we'd go, I could choose to, to, to throw out all my values and all my beliefs and all the things that God says are true about me, but I love him more. I will praise him more. And because I praise him more, I will stand on what he says rather than what they say. We would do that with our peers. We would do that with everything. See, to praise something is to prize it. So the question I would ask you is, what are you prizing these days? What is your heart most searching for? What are you in need of to fulfill you and to give you purpose in life? You'll know what it is because you praise it. You'll want more of it. You'll tell other people about it. One of the things I've been praying through as Mandy and I are getting ready to go on vacation is just this concept of rest. And one of the things I, I, as an American culture, um, we think this across the board, that if you cease from your work and go and spend a whole lot of money somewhere else, that the activity of doing that will give your soul rest. Ha, right? 
coming from someone who just came back from vacation <laughs> that didn't, uh, didn't do all those things and more, right? But we think that. And the reason I know we think that is because we praise it. We talk about where we went and what we did and the stories of it. And we emphasize the good things and we de-emphasize the bad things. So I was thinking about that and kind of moving into a season of rest and going, okay, what do I believe can give me the better rest? Is Is it going and doing other things or is it the maker of heaven and earth? What am I praising? What am I looking to? What, am, what does my heart want to love most? See, and here's the thing. You can use physical rest to gain rest with him. But you'll know if you don't do it, right? You'll know if you just do the physical side and don't do the spiritual side. You'll come back and you're the same exact person that you were before you left. Why is that? Because you thought something else could give you what only your maker can give you, what only your good dad can give you. See, and what David is reminding us is do that to everything. Do that to everything in life. Say, say, does this hold a candle to his love? Compare it. See, because as you do that, you'll see how his love is better and why his love is better. And eventually, you'll actually start to believe his love is better. And when that happens, you will praise his love as better. This might take a minute. It might take a month. It might take a year. I don't know how long it will take for you, but I know that God will do it. And then the second thing, second discipline. First is to compare his love to everything. And the second discipline is in verse 8 when he says, I will cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. You know, there are seasons when you can think your way into praising God. You just concentrate on his love and his love grows and it grows and it grows. And then you you find that because you focused on his love, you end up praising him. But there are other seasons when you do that and you don't get the same result in your heart. And so what do you do in those seasons when you're not experiencing him? When you're not getting the feelings or the butterflies or the things that you think you should be getting when you focus on him. When his love isn't growing and growing, but you're just kind of going and going through the motions. What do you do? David's answer is that you cling to him. See, it's the same word that we use when a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. What does that mean? It means that you cling to the person regardless of whether they're having a bad day or a good day. Regardless of whether you're going through a season where they're meeting your needs or they're not meeting your needs, regardless of their 50%, you give 100%, right? That's what marriage means. It's not a 50-50 endeavor. If you've been told that, you've been sold a lie. It's 100 and 100. You give what what God gives you to the other person regardless of what you give in return, and you give it over and over again as he gives you the ability to do it. You cling to that person regardless of what they give you back. And what David says is, when I think about what it means to be in relationship with you, I think about the fact that God calls me to cling. That it means there will be seasons that I go through when I'm getting nothing in return from you, and I still will cling to you. I will make you my God because you have made me your son. 
And there will be days when I don't feel you and I don't experience you and you aren't big to me and I don't know if your love is better in life. And even in those days, I will cling. Because here's the thing that happens. Those of you who... Have you ever been around someone who, who, with two people who have clung together in marriage when there's been more bad than good? When there's been more poverty than wealth? When there's been more sickness than health? Have you ever been around someone who's gone through that for six or seven decades? And they've clung to one another and they've clung to God? What's true of them? Have you ever been around someone like that? I've had maybe a handful of experiences of being around couples like that. You know what I've found? There is a sweetness of intimacy that they enjoy with one another that other couples could not dream of. Isn't it true? Have you ever been around someone like that? You go, how in the world did they, 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 they seem so connected and so engaged and so in love? I mean, I've been around people that are the opposite and you think they've gotten worse and worse and they're just enemies after, after 20 years. These people seem to be the opposite. They love some, each other so deeply and they've clung to one another because through life that hasn't given them everything that they hoped and dreamed it would give them. And because they've clung to one another, they love one another to such a degree. See, if it's true of marriage, it's true of him. I, I See, I think when we cling to him, as he's clung to us, we get, we get an experience of him. We get a, a, a taste of his presence. We get, we get a, him growing in our hearts and our life, even when we don't experience it, even when we don't see it, so that we look back after six or seven decades of clinging to him because he's clung to us. And there is a, 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 an enormity of our connection that other people couldn't dream of. But I tell you... Um, in order to cling to him, it means that you've got to cling to him in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad. It doesn't just come through good times and, and wealth and health. It comes in the poor times. It comes in the sick times. It comes in the bad times. It, it comes in the times when you go, there is no hope and there is no life and I see no way out. You cling to him in those seasons. I can't promise that you'll experience him tomorrow, though. I can, I think I can promise that in two or three decades, you will, you will know in the depths of your soul what it means to rejoice in his sufferings and so to rejoice in his glory. I remember I was talking to somebody about this a long time ago, and they were going through an experience where their wife was sick constantly. I mean, not just sick every once in a while, but that was the, the daily rhythm of their life was that their spouse needed extensive care. And he was just burned out and hopeless. He, he felt like he couldn't go on. He didn't know where to turn. He didn't know where God was. And I, I was talking to him through the situation. I remember God giving me something to say to him. And I thought, that's going to be terrible advice. And what I heard, though, and what I said to him was that, you know, a lot lot of people can stick to one another and to God. They can cling to each other when things are going well. 
And they'll experience the fruit of that clinging, regardless of what life gives them. Don't get me wrong. But I said, there is, a, there is an element to your clinging to one another and to him through this that I think when you get on the other side of it, when you actually experience seeing Jesus face to face, when he, when he brings you from the bonds of this life into his glory, when you experience him as he is and you receive because of your hardships the fullness of joy at standing in his presence, how much more will you be able to praise him than me if my life is good? You will know him in his sufferings, and as you know him in his sufferings, he will produce in you such joy, such praise, such rejoicing because you've clung to him. And so cling to him. That was my advice. Cling to him regardless of what you see today. Now, I don't know if he ever did, but that would be my advice to you as well. There will be seasons when you can think your way into praise, but there will be seasons when that will not give you what you're after. Cling to him as he's clung to you. I, I want us to be a people of praise, and I, and I think God is able to do it in us. Uh, what I'd like us to do, we're going to go to the tables in a second. Before we do that, though, I'd like to give us the opportunity just to praise. And so I'm, I'm going to open us in prayer. Now, rather than just me talking, I'm going to start and then we're going to give space and I'd love for you just to praise him out loud. If he's in there, it'll come out in your lips. And so those of you who are a little bit more bold, would you start us off? And we're just going to praise him for a couple minutes and then Pete's going to close, okay? And then we're going to go to the tables and remember that Jesus clung to us when we don't cling to him. Father, thank you that we are your people. We're your sons and daughters. You, you love us. You've committed to us regardless of our walking away. But I praise you for the fact that you chose to love me. That you choose to give love even when I don't deserve it. I, I, I lift your name up. There is no one like you. There's no one who loves me that way. But you do. Your name be praised.